greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And as always, it's your host, Patrick, and his co-host, Pat. How are you doing, Pat? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did text me this morning asking if I was up, and I, I've been up since quarter to seven, which actually is sleeping in late for me, but uh, what what did you have going on that... <laughs> well, my just sleep schedule being uh, messed up. Blame, blame, blame uh, COVID, of course. Um, All right. So this week we have uh, two movies that uh, we, I think, both kind of came across on Prime, not knowing what we were going to get from them. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised by the final product of what we saw. Um, So we're going to be covering Antrim, the deadliest film ever made, and Lake Artifact. Both films are currently streaming on uh, Amazon Prime for free. And uh, I think we are going to definitely recommend uh, both movies. So I think you and I have a little bit shifting opinion on which one is not necessarily the better film, but which one we I think we enjoyed uh, more. But we're going to go ahead and talk about Antrim first. And as we play the trailer, I'm going to do a little bit of reading because there's some text at the beginning of the trailer before it actually gets into it. So uh, once the trailer really kind of falls into it, then we'll, we'll you won't hear my voice anymore. So we're going to go ahead and get that running for you. film made in 1979 is responsible for the deaths of over 60 people. Believed to be cursed, the film disappeared 20 years ago. Copy has been found. This is the forest where the devil landed when he was cast out of heaven. And at that spot, we'll find the entrance to hell. The Antrim. The deeper we dig, the more the forest around us becomes darker. And with each layer that we pass, Be. 
right, so that was the trailer. And although you don't get a whole lot of um, idea of what the movie is about, um, we're going to go ahead and talk about the premise and then really kind of dive into it. Uh, so the premise of the film is a young boy and girl enter the forest to dig a hole to hell. Said to be a cursed film from the late 1970s, Antrim examines the horrifying power of storytelling. Um, and so this movie's a, a little bit weird in how it presents itself. Um, for one, it's obviously it's fiction, so it's not the deadliest film ever made. Sorry to kind of ruin that for everybody beforehand. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm still alive. So still Un- unfortunately? <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll be sure to tell your fiancé that. <laughs> um, but yes, it's uh, it's in the vein of, and it, actually this movie gets kind of referenced in the film itself, uh, in the vein of Cigarette Burns, which... Uh, not going to hide right now, even though I was going to talk about it later, I think is kind of more superior to this. Uh, if you're not familiar with Cigarette Burns, it's a Masters of Horror episode uh, done by John Carpenter. It's got Norman Reedus in it, and it deals with a guy tracking down this film, like really rare film that uh, when people watched it in the theater for the first time, they all went mad and they killed each other and stuff. And like it was never shown again and 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 stuff like that. And that's kind of how this film presents itself it's it's almost like a documentary at the beginning and in the credits uh talking about this lost film what impact it had on its audience and then it disappeared and then a copy of it being found and now watching it you even have a little warning at the beginning of the film like oh the writers and producers like they are not responsible for any deaths or whatever give you the big spooky and you're gonna die right exactly (laughs) so it's it does its best to try to immerse you in the reality of of things and i i do appreciate that to an extent and the premise of the movie within the movie is it's about a brother and sister who go into this forest in a sense to try to save um nathan the, the boy's dog's soul now I don't understand that a whole bit. Like I, I, there's a line that even the sister, um, says like, where did you get the idea that Maxine was going to hell anyways? And I, I know it's kind of talked about in the car ride home with their mom, but I, I never quite understood that bit. So basically what I got from it was the dog, like bit the kid. Oh, cause they show in a later scene, like the dog kind of like barking and then, the kid kind of having like a reaction like he's getting bit okay i might have missed that so it's kind of implied that they had to put the dog down because it wasn't behaving okay not, not because it was sick or anything didn't know he was sick <laughs> didn't even know he was sick well that's and that's what i had assumed was that the dog was sick and and to be fair i was a little bit distracted in, in my watching on it but um that was something i i, I think i did miss and which is really interesting now when you think about it, like the fact that they put the dog down because of of her biting him, but yet he's still attached to the dog. Like so the 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 act of the bite was not what you know didn't do anything to him to like make him afraid of the dog or anything like that. So it was purely probably the mother wanting to do something to kind of make sure nothing else happened. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Another thing that kind of, and this might get into a little bit spoiler territory, because um, it's revealed later in in the film about the the grimoire. Um, but I wanted to touch on this because, like, when I was watching it before I got to the end, 
I was like, oh, this really kind of annoys me. But then it gets explained. So if you're if the, any of this is sound a little interesting um, and you want to go check it out, go ahead. Just pause the podcast. Go check it out. It's about an hour and a half film. It's not super long. Um, and then come back and, and, and listen to this bit. But um, so forewarned spoilers. Um, when she pulls out the grimoire to do the incantations to kind of summon whatever they're trying to summon. Um, I was a little annoyed because when she's opening up, it looks obviously like hand drawn, childish, like nothing very well produced. So when I was watching it, I was thinking, well, they did a really crappy job with this prop. It's not selling me on this being this really like ancient text that's supposed to summon the devil or a demon or whatever. And then later on in the film, when she's trying to convince Nathan, she was just doing this for him to kind of come to terms with the dog's death. And she was just trying to do something nice for him that she made this herself. Like it was all hand drawn. And I'm like, okay, at least you explain that, you know, cause otherwise I would have, I, I would have had a hard time believing this, this reality. Um, I do like the kind of the concept that this is the forest where Lucifer fell to from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like they explored that enough. Um, and there were things about this, like I, I think it was very well shot. Uh, I think they did a good job trying to make sure it looked like it was set in the 70s um, and shot in the 70s. And But there were things that didn't, quite play out for me that I, I really cared for like the the random kind of cult that they find out there in the woods yeah that's one thing that it didn't really explain a whole lot about I assume that it probably had something to do with that being where Lucifer fell right and then they kind of like started a cult around there but they didn't really explore it enough right they 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 just because they kind of come out of nowhere <laughs> there's nothing that really sets it up like I think they did a better job setting up kind of the demon that's stalking them than than this. But one other kind of interesting parallel I found with this movie is it, it's very much kind of in the vein of Dante's Inferno. And I'm sure you haven't read um, Dante's Inferno or anything like that. But I, I read it in high school uh, for a project. And kind of you have the nine circles of hell and it's Dante's you know journey. It starts in the woods and he goes through each level trying to get to his wife. And of course, he you know ends up going all the way through hell, then through purgatory and through heaven throughout the whole. Uh, is it the Divine Comedy, I think, or something like that? Um, but this kind of modeled that a little bit. Like you have, I think it's five layers that they're going through. At least they get to a fifth layer, um, and each one's getting progressively worse. And that's how Dante's descent into hell gets. It gets progressively worse through the seven deadly sins, and then getting down to Lucifer. Um, so I, I really appreciated that, uh, for being a very, um, I would assume very low budget in indie project. I think it did a really good job with a lot of the effects that they did. Um, now when you do kind of get a look at the demons near the end, it does kind of fall apart for me a little bit. They look a little too comical for me. Um, very student film project kind of esque look, it's still kind of effective because of the main actress. Like she does a really good job selling the terror. Um, but that still at the same time I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh God, there's the, it just looks awful. It just looks awful, but you can only do so much with a limited budget. Yeah. And 
there's actually a kind of common theme between the two movies we're covering today. Oh, yeah. It's like when, when they're going to escape, they go in a circle and they're back at their campsite. Yes. Yes. And um, before I, because like I'm, I'm jumping around here, but one thing I also really did like, too, with her kind of coming up with this whole random idea of trying to, you know, placate her brother or try to make her brother feel uh, better is the idea, like, when she creates the pentagram to kind of do the summoning, using different religious symbols. I, I really kind of like that idea of using these different, like, there's, uh, I think there's Buddhism, there's maybe, um, uh, there's Hindu Christianity. Um, I can't, I know the symbols of the other ones, but I don't remember what religions they are, but I kind of like that idea that it was a mixture of all of them to be able to like summon Satan or summon the devil, whatever that they were doing that. And they were trying to be protected through, right. through it. So they're like, ah, we don't know which one it is. So we're just going to try them all. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's uh reminiscent of, um, cause I've just rewatched this and I know you and, and Izzy have rewatched this recently too. The mummy, when Benny is being kind of cornered by the mummy at the very beginning and he's pulling out all of his religious symbols and trying them yeah. all until he gets to uh, uh, Judaism. It was very, very similar kind of to that uh, extent. So I think the most fascinating bit about this film is the overlay of imagery. This kind of, it's not subliminal because you can actively see it. Like, you know you're seeing it on the screen when you see it. And this is what's supposed to be kind of the impetus for this being a cursed film is all these sigils that are etched on the well not etched on but placed on the actual film yes 35 millimeter film for all the youngins who don't know anything other than digital um being placed on there and uh kind of popping up at random moments or certain moments when the the tension is heightened uh one of the most effective ones i really liked is it's near the beginning there it's I think it's when they're on their way to their campsites, when she's telling him that this is the forest where mm-hmm. uh, Lucifer fell to. And you have the f- face of a devil kind of opaque in the background. And it, I think that was one of the most fascinating ones throughout the whole film. Uh, it was just one that I, I really appreciated because like it, it, it definitely looks like it's looking directly at you. And I mean, you end up seeing the full face later on in the film, but uh, I really appreciated that. Yeah, and one of the things that I tried to do was pause it because at one point there was, like, words over the uh, screen, but I could never get it quite right, so I gave up after, like, three tries. I think I almost might have to just have it on, like, I don't even know if physical media would work with it or not, trying to pause it. Um, I do think one of the best atmospheres to probably have watched this movie would have actually been in a theater. Um, I think part of the suspense and part of the spectacle is lost just watching it, at least maybe like I did watching it on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this one would benefit from an audience experience, just kind of like in the vein of like I wasn't and still not really a huge fan of the first Paranormal Activity movie. But when I saw it in theaters, uh, the people's reactions the ones that were really into it like uh when the ouija board catches on fire and that when we had this guy just like get up and run out of the theater and so it, it's it's one of those things that i think like it maybe this would benefit more from a group setting like having a couple friends over which of course is not possible right now uh less than 10 i think is what it is here in ohio but um 
Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those films that really, really benefits from that. Now, uh, I think you had mentioned it to me before I started watching it that this isn't really scary. It's not necessarily a scary film, um, and I would agree to that. Uh, it's it's suspenseful because you're you're kind of on the lurch of what's going to come next, like what's actually going on here. Um, are they going to get out? Is what's going to happen? Um, but there's no real like jump scares. There's no moments of just pure terror. There are for the characters. Yeah. Uh, but as an audience member, you're more, I think, infatuated with how is this a cursed movie? What's going on here? What do these sigils mean? What do what what is the message of this film? And I overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it needs maybe a little more. Explanation. Uh, yeah, it, it needs it needs better work on the story because uh, I, I and this is where I would say like Cigarette Burns does this a little bit better. And if we could get them to do a movie that kind of comes into the middle of what these two do differently, I think you'd have the better film. Whereas Cigarette Burns, uh, it never shows you the movie. Uh, you have people who watch it in, in that episode of Masters of Horror and what happens to them, but you never see the movie itself. You have the people that talk about it. You have the all the different groups and, and the violence and people getting murdered and stuff like that. But you never actually see the movie. And then this, you have people who talk about the movie at the very beginning and at the very end of the movie. But that's it. Like, then you're in the full context of the film. And I think it would have worked a little bit better if there was more interjection of, like, the people talking about, oh, because of this particular scene or, or something like this, or even just if they worked the story a little bit differently about whoever found this copy and then what happened to that person. Because I would have to assume that the people making kind of the documentary aspect of the film not necessarily watch the movie themselves. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it just needs needs a little more fine-tuning. Uh, I think if we interjected more from kind of the outside commentary bit, uh, maybe the film would work for me a little bit better, but overall, I really appreciate what they did and what they've done with it, and that it's it's a unique one of its kind right now. We haven't had a whole lot of these. Oh, it's a cursed movie. Like the closest I think being would have been, and they mentioned again like this in, in the film, like the Ring or Ringu, yeah. um, being one where at least in the film itself, it has something that is a cursed object that. You're going to die in seven days if you watch it and something like that. But having a movie that's purporting itself to be a cursed film and you're actually watching that movie, I think, is a very unique perspective um, that we haven't seen a whole lot in the horror industry. So I would definitely like to see if they would do a sequel, I think it would be a little bit difficult, um, but maybe in the sense of it actually being more of like an actual movie where you have characters who now are watching this movie and then seeing what impact that has on those characters. Um, more in the line with like the ring where you have the characters watching the movie and then you're seeing what happens to those characters. Cause I think like that's, that's the most logical way to take this next film. Uh, if they do another film rather. Um, so yeah, I think, um, so on a, on a rating scale basis, I think, I'm going to go with a three and a half out of five. Um, I think if they would have upped the terror a little bit more, because it really doesn't kind of kick into full gear until like the last 20 minutes of the movie. That's really where the cult gets involved. And 
Um, some things get explained a little bit more, but there's still something kind of missing, uh, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I'm I'm right around the same three three and a half. Um, I I enjoyed it a lot. I'd probably end up watching it again at some point to see if I missed anything. Oh yeah. Um, towards the end, it the, another thing that kind of like gets you into the story more. It, and it, it sounds messed up, but like they do a really good job of <laughs> kind of grossing you out with those cult people. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. Because um, like they got that little statue thing. They're burning someone alive in it. Right. Um, the other guys. Uh, I'll let you. <laughs> I'll let you figure that part out on your own. But. It's it's pretty gross, but I mean it it kind of sets the scene. Absolutely, and I and I do like that it kind of has like a false ending, um, where you think the movie's actually over, and then there's actually still a little bit left, mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of leaves something a little open to interpretation with how that final scene ends, uh, and I I really appreciate that. And one other thing I wanted to mention because I kind of found this out just shortly before we started recording is that the uh, actress who plays Orly, the sister, did the voice for Jill Valentine in the Resident Evil 3 remake, which I had no idea. Now, Not that she sounds so different, but like now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they, those voices do sound similar. And, uh, and I loved the Resident Evil 3 remake. I know a lot of people have some issues with it being a very shorter one, but uh, I think that was also something that really kind of sold this movie was the actors did a really good job. Like one of the things I was kind of fearful of with and and this kind of happens with most horror films that deal with a young child nowadays, ever since the Babadook came out and unpopular opinion, except that you and I hold the same opinion. uh, We both hate that movie. Uh, Almost with a almost with a burning (laughs) passion. We both hate that movie. And a lot of it deals with the kid Uh, and the kid is unbearable in that film and like every when every time he's screaming, I just want to smack him upside the face and drop kick his ass like out the door. You know, it's just he's awful. He, there's nothing you can enjoy about that character. So I was really kind of worried a little bit with this because Nathan, I'd say, is a little bit older than than the kid in the Babadook is. Maybe right around the same age, yeah, or probably at least, about the same age, or two, maybe two years older, something like that. But he does a very good job. Like he's not annoying. He's compelling. Uh, he does a good job in the scenes that he's in and uh, just it, his performance compared to that is like what you want to see from a kid in a horror film dealing with kind of more complex issues. If the kid in the Babadook acted more like Nathan in this film, I probably would have liked the Babadook a little bit more. Now, I still hated the mom as well, but at least like this has a better dynamic between the sister and the kid uh, and the brother still in this film. The Babadook would have won. Well, maybe he wins in the end. Uh, and and that, you know, the Babadook does something where, like, it's not showing you the, the monster a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film does kind of show more of it near the end. It, I would say, like, that's something the Babadook does a little bit better is by not showing the monster at all. I, I think it could have shown the monster a little bit, a little bit more than what we saw in that film. Um, but they do a good job with it by keeping it more low key. And I think had they kept the demons in this a little bit more low key, just as glancing things, running things in the, in the background, 
this would have worked a little bit better than what we when we actually see them kind of surrounding um, Orly in the end. And so that's it, it's a fine line, but I, I would take this film over The Babadook any day. True. But at the same time, you got to think, since it's a movie inside of a movie and it's set in the 70s, the practical effects that they're using would be... Very true. Very true. Would be a lot less than what we have. And and that's why I say, like, it kind of has that student film approach feel to it. Like, this looks like, if you go back to just even Evil Dead, you know, that being a very low budget, Sam Raimi's first movie, the shimps and that, how awful their makeup looks and whatnot, but yet it still works. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it definitely has that kind of feel to it. And I would say, like, that's where this movie kind of definitely derive some inspiration from a little bit, at least like with the Necronomicon being in that film, being this book that holds these ancient secrets and stuff like that. Um, I would definitely like to learn more about the filmmakers in this and their thought process and who wrote the story and where they came up with a lot of their ideas. I agree. Like I, you and I were talking about this. So we took a little short break. Um, The appreciating the technique of overlaying the images Especially nowadays when a lot of people don't shoot on film. I I mean, I know it's possible with editing software and stuff like that to be able to intercut these these images, but they do it in such a convincing way you would believe this would be on a film reel. Oh. And I think that's something that also needs to be appreciated. So a lot of like with the points that we're deducting off of it is more kind of they needed to refine the story a little bit more than what we got. It's definitely not from a technical aspect. Like I think it's shot beautifully, competently acting is superb. The story is really where it kind of is a little bit weak. Um, so do you have any final thoughts? No, I I think that basically covers it. All right. Well guys, we definitely recommend this one out. Um, just even just for kind of like a, a study piece. Like if you're just even wanting, like not, you're not going to really get, I don't think too terrified by it. But if you kind of want to look at it as just like something to analyze and, and discuss, like there's a lot of stuff that we could probably spend hours on. We'd have to watch it a few times and like really notate everything down that we really want to dissect about it. But I think this is a film that has multiple layers to it and things that you could go on. Like I said, there's kind of the analogy with Dante's Inferno and and things that you could really spend a long time kind of discussing discussing and dissecting about this film so definitely go check it out especially with it being on prime you're not wasting any money and if you need something to kind of keep you entertained a little bit during this quarantine time this would be uh, a good one to check out all right so now we're going to move into our review of lake artifact and this was one that I uh, I just kind of came across as like I added it to my watch list because as most of my friends know, most people know, I like going to sleep to horror films. Whether or not that makes me a weirdo, that's up to you guys. But um, and I kind of watched the trailer for it and I was like, ah, this might be all right, but I don't know. We'll see. And uh, I finally actually sat down and, and watched it from start to end. And I really, really enjoyed it. So we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for you guys and then we'll get into it. Multiple timelines. <laughs> I, I, I suppose Daniel Young was a part of it. This Adirondack Lake House on Good Lake. 
name is Dr. Albert Clarkson. And I'm a historian specializing in American cults, specifically from, say, the 1940s to the 1970s. Why is there a photo of us randomly here? You don't remember it because we never took this. You won't get anything out here. I've tried. The Hand of One originally started around 1953 by a man named Bernie Porsche before having an encounter with this young woman named Meredith Parler in the Anirondack town of Scream Lake. This woman had supernatural abilities. For this, we should have a few more miles to go before we were hitting something. Back in October of 1953, it was a bloodbath. We have no idea what that guy's problem We just met him on the side of the road yesterday. This place is weird. So-called artifacts popping up. Megan! 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 Oh, I swear to you, it's This whole place is a loop, Tommy. What the hell happened out there, man? Decided to drive back and move around for three hours before I realized it was a circle. Fast forward 20 years, right? And course, one day he just vanishes. However, the land of Paradox Lake is now on the grounds. Daniel Young the same decides to buy the property and build a summer home. I want to go home. This was a mistake. Oh, I wonder if you're going to come. Who's to make you sick? She told me she'd make that happen. He began to suffer from hallucinations, thoughts. You're walking the straight line the whole way. Most of this stemmed from the idea that for every action, we got to talk about this place, man. There was a new reality created. You see, all the disappearances over, over their head, just one thing in common. Whoever entered, after three days, only one would return. All right, so the premise for this one is five friends go on a weekend getaway to a cabin in upstate New York where time and space begins to function without reason, only to slowly turn them against each other one by one. And I like... um, the aspect about this film where they kind of mix found footage in a sense with what's going on with the rest of the movie. There's, there's one uh, called evidence that does this too, where it's like, it's the movie, but then the characters in it are watching the found footage and it switches to kind of the found footage style. Uh, and much like, um, Antrim, it's a documentary film crew that's interviewing some people. And then we're seeing the main characters as they go through the events of the film and then sometimes scenes are interjected with the documentary part of it. Uh, and then it ends on the documentary. Um, so I didn't really have any high expectations from this movie when, when going into it, like I said, I watched this trailer and I was like, ah, eh, this sounds interesting. I'm sure it's probably not going to be that great, but I'll give it a shot and see how it goes. And I really liked it. I, I really did. It, it dealt with some interesting concepts uh, but much like Antrim, it, it does a very bad job of explaining things. Uh, they they really have a weakness on on the story aspect and also a little bit on the acting side. Uh, I think most of the actors are fine in this film. The one that really sticks out to me, and you may have picked it up in the trailer, you may not have, but Kip. When he returns after being gone for like a whole day, He's supposed to act differently, like it's purposeful, but the actor does not do a good job of it. When he's acting like the normal Kip at the beginning of the film, he's fine. But then when he's doing this kind of weird distanced Kip, 
he it's it's just not good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it mean, feels like he's trying to be edgy. Or something. Yeah, like he, he's <laughs> he's trying to show because like with the whole concept of the film, like dealing with these kind of time loops and stuff like that. Uh, he's supposed to have been like out there in the woods for a whole day and and coming across things that don't make sense, and then coming to this re- realization of what he has to do to get out of the loop. Um, but so he's now changed into this kind of dark character who doesn't have any feelings towards his friends or anything. And it just, it's just flat. It's a very flat performance. And I'm not one to really like pick up on bad acting. I know everyone can go and watch him and go, Oh my God, the acting is horrible. And usually I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You know, I don't, that's, that's fine. I don't care. But this was one where it was very egregious. Like it was like, Put a little emotion into it. Put a little inflection into your words. It was about as bad as like the death scene of Talia Al Ghul. In yeah, the, in yeah. Dark Knight Rises. That that is what I definitely picked up on too. <laughs> it's the, the worst movie death I've ever seen. I, I agree. <laughs> it is not great. Um, so, with uh, that aside, like I, I, there are concepts that are introduced in this film. Um, like there's this cult, the, the hand of one or the hand of God, cause they kind of go back and forth on the name and intentionally. So, uh, as part of the documentary thing, you have, uh, kind of the guy who's in charge of the tourism of the town, uh, that kind of where paradox Lake is located and whatnot. Um, who's also there. And then you have this scientist who you've heard, you heard mainly through the trailer. He's the one who does most of the talking in the trailer. Uh, which is who they really focus on, which I think is fine, but they didn't do enough job, a a good enough job of really explaining why the other two factors were introduced in the documentary aspect. Um, So I almost would prefer they would have left those two out and just focused on the scientist because that's where a lot of the compelling information comes from, kind of the idea of what's going on at this lake house, um, explaining what this guy did and who built the house and whatnot um and what experiments he tried and what it ended up to his suicide and stuff like that that was the very interesting aspects of it but it still didn't do enough to explain what was going on i'd I'd say that when he was uh going to the other people to interview him it was kind of just kind of cherry picking ones that to show that he's trying to get more information and it's not necessarily him getting what he wants until he gets to that guy. I, I would agree, but I think like they they needed more time though. I think I felt like they were very short and they didn't contribute. Excuse me, they didn't contribute a whole lot to the overall narrative, if anything. Right, because uh, like you know, I I got the even if they had just had the guy who kind of was promoting the town and everything just there at the beginning to be like, Oh, this is a great thing. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah. We've had a few bad things happen here, but don't let that deter you from coming out here and been the only time he showed up on the screen. I think that would have been fine too, but they, they still kind of bring them up here and there, but they're very short as compared to the scientists. And like I said, the scientist is the most compelling part about this. And, um, I don't know if this would have worked better if they had done it full found footage style. Because uh, like even with the characters as they're going to the lake house, there a lot of it's through their phones and stuff like that. But then it comes out to that third person kind of perspective. And we're seeing from an outside viewer's point, um, which I think was, it's fine. But And I did like how they kind of switch it up near the end when things are really starting to get crazy and we kind of see the group of friends heading to the house again because mm-hmm. of the whole time stuff. And then 
the final events of their third, the third day from the first group, uh, kind of how that's entailing and everything. I know it's getting really confusing kind of talking about, uh, but I did like how they kind of did it differently and how they switched it up a little bit. Um, I, I feel like this movie had a lot that it wanted to do and it just wasn't successful in executing at all. Um, I think it had a compelling hook. It had some good characters in it, um, character-wise, not necessarily actor-wise. Uh, and it did introduce, like, it, it's a little predictable. Um, I think when the old man shows up, 95% of the audience is going to know who this old man is. Um, I did like, though, the con- I, I liked that they withheld some stuff. Like, you have Megan going in to go talk to him at one point, and then it cuts to another scene. And then they never address, well, they never address it for a while, at least. Uh, you're like, well, what, what was said? And then you're hearing he's dead, and you're like, well, w- wait a minute. We never saw that conversation. And then as we get l- later into the film, kind of n- towards the end of it, we see that conversation. And I, I really like that. that. It even happens with the drifter um, as he's talking about how he got to where he's at mm-hmm. and talking about, oh, I had this really weird truck ride with some crazy people. And you don't hear about that or see anything about it. And then you get later on into the film and then you it flashes back to that and you kind of see what unfolds from that. And I think that that was a really interesting way to intercut the film and kind of keep the pacing um, level instead of going straight towards the rushing towards that climax. I also think that this had a really you called it. I didn't. But I think it has a really good twist at the end on who is doing the documentary. There was something said towards, like, the middle point Okay. that kind of, like, ticked me towards it. It wasn't, like, right at the beginning of everything. Of it was it was somewhere in the middle. He says something to the guy, and it kind of gives it away. Okay. Well, and that's another thing I really liked about this, too, is, like, who survives at the end of this film was not who I was pegging on at all. Like, that, I, I was, and not to go into, like, spoilers about it or anything like that, I was not who I was expecting to live. Not it, it, because it kind of defies a little bit of horror tropes in a sense. Um, <laughs> but it also, it was a character that I, I really liked too. And usually characters that you really enjoy and really like are usually kind of the first ones on, on the you know chopping block. And uh, cause he's, he's a character. Well, I, if I give anything away, it's going to reveal who it is. So I'm not going to say who the character was, but he was one I really enjoyed. And um, I mean, that's going to, kind of narrow it down a little bit for you but yeah um, the characters aren't exactly likable throughout it there's a couple but there's a couple very unlikable characters i think there's only two well i say there's three i say there's really kind of three likable characters i would say that's megan tommy and thomas definitely um because like thomas is the drifter well he's really an actor that's not really spoiling anything of it but um i mean it's a little bit but not a whole big plot drop or on the or anything like that but you know he's just like oh i found this group of people i'm an actor (laughs) and they all make fun of him for it too uh oh you're working for some student film ha 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 stuff like that um but he's he's kind of a genuine person who was like okay i came across these people like i want to kind of stay in character but i want to also party with these guys because they seem kind of cool um and then you know tommy's kind of just this 
nerdy guy who's with a group of people who kind of just wants to, I mean, he wants to like hook up with someone, obviously, but he's also just kind of a genuine person. And then Megan is just like the good girlfriend for Kip, but who's also been wronged and doesn't know she's been wronged and stuff like that. Uh, and then the other girl who I can't remember her name, um, she's trying to be a good, like the goody two shoes, but she's not. Cause like she cheated on Megan with Kip and everything. And they're keeping it the secret and they're not going to tell Megan. So I think like those two are the very unlikable characters. Uh, and then of course our other three are the very likable characters. And I think that helps the film. Cause you can at least like you get an attachment. I always say like if a film uh, makes you attached to the characters, it's doing its job because when you lose those characters or when they die in the film, you feel that loss in a sense, and you don't want those characters to die. So, uh, again, like this is when it kind of sets itself up for a sequel. And I think, uh, they'd have to be very careful with how they do it, but I think they've set it up in a very interesting way that they could execute that sequel. I think that if they did it, it would have to involve the person that's doing the documentary. Right. Probably the guy that he's interviewing in yes. the documentary yes. since he has all the information and then I mean uh, I think you would have to deal with the cult because they yeah. introduce that concept but they never go anywhere with it and I think that's what hampers this film a lot for me is that it's like it's introducing this hand of God or hand of one cult who are kind of devoted to the scientist who went there and kind of did all the projects and studies of what was going on at the lake but it just it doesn't go anywhere. Honestly, I think it'd be better if there was a prequel. I wouldn't mind seeing a prequel. Yeah. And kind of explaining, like, how it came to be. If they wanted to do kind of a three-part, you know, do a prequel. I, I would I would almost do it in this uh, uh, this way, as I'd, I'd do the sequel first. Kind of resolve everything out. Um, you know, kind of finish up everyone's storylines and, and come with a definite ending or even still have a little bit of a cliffhanger ending and then, you know, uh, not necessarily leaving it for a sequel, but an idea of a sequel if they mm-hmm. wanted to. Then go back and do the prequel and that way, um, you know, you can have things kind of fall more in line because you know how your story ends and you've already got your middle. So all you really have to do is focus on the beginning and make sure the beginning flows into that line of sequence. And I would even have that prequel end with who's doing the documentary starting to do the documentary. And then you almost have it as one actual film altogether. Um, but I really liked it. Uh, I think I think it's going to still end up on the same line as Antrim uh, for me, a 3.5 out of 5, uh, out of five because... Again, like this is a little bit where it's weak. It's it's stronger in story than I think Antrim is, but it, it has that those kind of holes, those weak spots where it's like it's it's telling you things, but it's not really explaining those things. The scientist does the best he can, but like you said, with with not knowing like what was going on beforehand, like how this all started, what does this all mean? You know, is it aliens? Is it you know magnetic forces? What what is going on up this this paradox uh, paradox lake to be causing this type of three day intricate loop, alternate timelines, alternate realities? How is this all happening? We we don't ever fully understand it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from 
people that do time travel movies don't know the best way to explain it. I think, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I know I've recommended it to you before. I will, I will say always hands down the best time travel movie is time crimes. Um, it handles time travel in the best possible, most realistic for time travel way ever. Um, it is a very good Spanish sci-fi horror flick. It was on Shudder. I don't know if it's currently on Shudder. I think I have the DVD of it lying around somewhere. Um, it's, of course, subtitled, but I, I think if you own the physical copy of it or if you can find an English dub version, you can if you don't do subtitles. It is a really good one where it's a guy who kind of is getting chased by a killer who then comes across like a laboratory that's not far from his property and then time traveling and how those events kind of all end up playing into each other. Cause you're given these kind of clues at the beginning and then you find out how those clues and they keep on leading the more clues. And then you, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're really getting to the beginning of the movie and it, it's just, it handles it so well. And I think like this tries to do that, although it does it a little bit differently. And I think it, cause like it does introduce the alternate reality concepts because the picture that they never took and, and seeing all these other pictures they're they're seeing all the other potential timelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just think that they needed to do a better job of explaining how did this happen? How did this start? And um, that's where I think it was weakest on this story. Overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it was one that I could kind of turn my brain off to. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd probably land on like a three out of five. Okay. Um, like, like we said, the the story just needed more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, it's not a necessarily long movie. It was no. probably an hour and a half. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a rough, roughly the same amount of time as Antrim. Um, but it's one of those where you add you add fifteen minutes and you can get so much more. Absolutely. Out of it. Like if you even just kind of extend that ending a little bit further. Uh, I think like you would get more of it. Although I think the ending is about as good of an ending as you can get. If you extend it, extend it out 15 minutes or if you maybe 15 minutes in the middle, you extend something, it might work out more. I, I think if they'd done more work with the cult and everything that we would have understood more or, or things would have made more sense. But again, like these are both independent films um so they don't have big budgets they do with with it what they can and i think they both did a good job i i really enjoyed like we may not give them a super high ratings or anything but i think we both had moments of enjoyment from them and as long as i'm enjoying the film it's doing its job um i don't have to like every aspect of it and again this is like what goes to my kind of main complaint about film criticism nowadays is they just go this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Let's not talk about anything I liked about the movie, but that this is all that's that's awful with it. This is what's garbage about it. And so therefore, because I find these things that I don't like about it, you as an audience member should not watch it. I think you need to strike that fine balance of, okay, yeah, these things here didn't work, but this is what worked, and based on this, I can recommend you seeing it or, hey, maybe wait till it comes out on streaming and then check it out if you don't want to waste your money. And I think that's a level-headed approach in us that a lot of film critics need to get back to. Um, so I, I find sometimes most of the, uh, a lot of the time now, I am finding more independent horror films 
uh, that I'm enjoying more than I, anything I'm seeing out in the mainstream theater. I, I'd agree with that, especially since, like, my, the type of horror that I enjoy more is more stuff that's in the background. It's there. Subtle. Subtle horror. Yeah. The, the jump scares, whatever. I Okay, you got me. Right. But, but it's like... <laughs> it's the it's, cheap. It's the yeah. cheap one. Yeah. It's not real scary. Right. Yeah. It's those subtle, those subtle moments, and I think there's a lot of good filmmakers out there that... Are, are very good with that. Like that's one of the things that makes the conjuring actually kind of terrifying is it's, it's those little insidious as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course those are both James Wan and I think we're both James Wan fans. Um, it's those moments and those things that like, yeah, you're going to get a reaction from a jump scare. And even those subtle films, they have those jump scares in there intermittently. Um, but like a film like those, like the woman in black, um, both of those films I really enjoy because it does have that subtle, you're like, oh shit! Did you? They didn't see that. Like that thing just went right past them. One that was, it wasn't necessarily a good movie by what I, by my standards. Yeah. But Wards of Salem. There's a scene yeah. in that where she's like in the kitchen with her back turned. Yeah. And then the thing's like up on the counter. Yes. For like a solid minute. Yes. I, I see. That's the yeah. Rob Zombie. He's a he's a hit or miss with me, and I would agree. Like Lords of Salem. It's an okay movie. It's, yeah, it's um, nothing special. But yeah, it has those moments. It has those those kind of like like you said that that scene particularly right there where like you have the camera here and then it pans and all of a sudden it's there and the character has no idea it's there and you're like oh shit like that's not even a jump scare in my opinion. Yeah. Jump scare is going to be something that comes right in your face. It jumps right in the middle of the screen. And uh, I would agree like that moment in Lords of Salem is is special and I think like that's what can make a make or break a movie it's got to be effective and done well and it can't be overused and i think that to the extent that's where jump scares have gone now because they know it's an easy payoff Mm -hmm. people are going to jump because of this and um i think that's kind of like why i like found footage horrors uh films a lot more because they are kind of masters at that in the sense of like they're working on a low budget anyways. So the most they can do is pull something off on like, like that. That's like why grave encounters I think is one of the best found footage horror films. That's a good one. Um, what's uh, gags. The clown even has some moments like that where clown, like the camera's just panning and the clowns like right there. And mm-hmm. the, even the person moving the camera doesn't see him. And uh, so I, I really appreciate that. And of course that reminds me, um, We'll have to watch this at some point. David, I guess, did he did a response video for us. Uh, I, I, I didn't ask him if we could play it on the podcast, so I'll have to see if he's okay with us doing that. Uh, kind of as a response and also a thanks for covering his film and everything. And he wanted to kind of answer some of our criticisms or, or kind of address some things, which I think he did a really good job of doing. But he was talking about doing a, a, a short with his cell phone, and I think he actually did it. And uh, I just haven't watched it. I think he's promoted it on his Twitter. But I want to check it out and see what he was able to work with um, doing that all in isolation and quarantine and everything. So, uh, but yeah, I think like that's one of the reasons why found footage I really enjoy because they they work with those moments. They work with those kind of subtle moments that you have to be paying attention to the screen to to catch them. And I think that's where Antrim really works because a lot of that is subtle. The even the the sigils and stuff that kind of flicker on the screen that's mm-hmm. all subtle you're not going if you're not paying attention you're going to miss things now it may not be overall important to the story 
but it's still interesting and effective. I think the one thing that surprised me was how many times. That yes. They, like, I, there was a lot, but I didn't think there was as many as, yeah, as there, they say at the end. How many did they say? Like 170. Yeah, yeah, because, like, you can easily miss a hundred of those if you're not like looking at the screen a hundred percent of the time. And even if you're, if you blink, you're going to miss one. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is very, very impressive. And we both, I uh, say recommend these films. Both are streaming on prime for free. Go check them out. Um, there is one kind of thing I want to promote now. This isn't like a paid promotion or anything like that, but I just watched the first episode. I know a lot of people that are on horror Twitter and everything and have shutter have already been kind of latching onto it, but Shudder is doing, uh, I don't know if it's a mini series or if they're going to do multiple seasons of it, but they've done a show called cursed films and they're doing, it's a docu series on horror films that had problems on the set, like people dying sets, catching on fire. The first episode covered, um, the exorcist. There were a lot of interesting things. I watched that first episode and there were things I did not know that went on making that film. Uh, they talk about the crow. Um, I believe they talk about poltergeist or if not, they will be talking about poltergeist because there's a lot of stuff that went on the, on that. Uh, they talk about the twilight zone movie. So it's, I think five episodes, it may be longer. Uh, I have to recommend it. If you don't have shutter and you're a horror fan, you need to get shutter. Uh, they got a lot of good content on there. A lot of content I haven't been able to catch up on. Uh, Joe Bob, his last drive-in show is uh, going to be coming back next Friday, which since we'll be probably hanging out, I will be making you guys probably watch some of that if we hang out late in the night. Um, it's Joe Bob is fantastic. Uh, he is, he is amazing and I have to recommend it, but I think that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you're not following us, you can follow us on Twitter at critics and T cynics. Uh, you can write into the podcast, even though we're really bad at checking our Gmail at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. <laughs> Awful. Um, follow the podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google play Podbean, um, cast box. I even believe, uh, we're still, I know I announced the contest of giving the Joker 4k giveaway, but we're still kind of behind on reviews. We want to get up to three reviews, at least on iTunes, so, or not three we want to get up to 10 we need three more to get to get to it um so if we can get to that magic number we'll probably get more into doing the giveaway for uh joker so um hope you guys are enjoying the podcast please leave us a rating and review and we'll see you next time